Well, I have to admit um, that I am a sucker for action movies. So not like the brainless ones, but like the ones where there's a, you know, kind of an interesting plot, like the Born Identity series is like my favorite, right? I love the intensity of feeling like a scene could go either way, like that life or death kind of hangs in the balance. And as I was thinking about this passage where we've been studying in John 15, it brought to mind those movie scenes where someone is, is slipping, they're falling off a cliff or a roof or flying out of a helicopter or plane or something like that, and somebody reaches down to grab hold of their hand and to save them, right? And in those moments, kind of depending on how dire the situation is, how, how high up they are, how life-threatening it is, like the person being rescued has a role here, right? It's pretty important for them to grab hold of the hand or the arm and and really be in this with the person trying to rescue them. Like we don't need them like just being dead weight or panicking and flopping all around while they're trying to do this thing, right? So there's, there's something that they're, 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 a role that they have. Usually the rescuer is yelling what to the person in jeopardy? What? Maybe. Hang on, right? Hold on, right? I, you guys remember Cliffhanger? old Stallone movie back in 93. I was like, oh man, there's a scene in there. And he's like hanging on a, a wire across this canyon and he's holding on to this lady. It's just like, it's so intense, right? I was gonna show the clip, but I didn't have time for that this morning. But I was like, dude, Stallone was ripped. He was probably my age at that time. So we have a lot, lot in common. Um, <laughs> But as, as Justin was, uh, and I were kind of looking through his, uh, kind of prepping for last week's sermon, uh, we were looking at that statement that, uh, that Jesus makes in, in verse 4. It kind of jumped out at me in a way that it never had before. If you guys remember, we looked at verse 4 um, last week. It said this, um, remain in me as I also remain in you. And Justin talked about that pretty in depth last week. As I also remain in you, I was like, oh man, that's the key. That's it right there. God is already daily committed to us. And it's like a lot of things in scripture. Once again, it's just basically kind of our response to God's initiating movement towards us. His pursuit, his initiative. God is always pursuing us. Oneness with him is not something that we're chasing. It's a gift that's been given to each one of us through his indwelling spirit. And that ought to tell us a lot about God and his nature, right? That he's, he's already remaining in us. He's taking the first steps. He's the initiator. I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles back up to John 15. going to be looking basically each week at, at just two verses. It's page 1537 in your pew Bibles. <clears throat> We're going to read verses five and six. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. 
So Jesus begins by kind of repeating himself here. He's already said some of these things. He, he says once again, he's kind of reminding us of, of who is playing what role in this grand narrative of life. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So he's speaking about identity. He's talking about roles. He's talking about our place in community. We are not these self-contained entities, okay? As, as we're not just islands of humanity, although some may be, people may think that that's the case. I came across this really morbid quote by uh, Orson Welles. So he's a famous American director, writer, actor. Um, Citizen Kane was kind of his famous movie, but this is what he said. He says, we're born alone, we live alone, we die alone. Only through our love and friendship can we create the illusion for the moment that we're not alone. Man, I want to hang out with that guy, right? <laughs> Pretty depressing sentiment. But, you know, I was on Wikipedia studying, well, you know, tell me more about Orson Welles. And come to find out both of his parents died before he was 15. The brother that he had was in a mental institution. And so for young Orson Welles, it probably did feel like he was all alone, this deep sense of loneliness. But his opinion is not the gospel. It's not the good news of Jesus. So remember, John 15 is in the midst of this long discourse by Jesus. He's talking to his disciples about his impending death, and he's telling them, this is what reality is going to look like when my physical absence is gone. And the chapter before contains some really critical promises about his ongoing commitment, his ongoing relational commitment to them beyond the cross and the grave. So I want you to look back into John 14, starting in verse 15, which is from our last sermon series. It says, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. It will, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus said, I will be with you forever. My son, Zach, and my daughter-in-law, <clears throat> Sam, they have matching tattoos on their wrists that say with. It's just kind of this covenant reminder for them, which is kind of this cool way of remembering this. But Jesus says, I'll be with you. I'm not going to leave you orphaned. You'll be in me. I'll be in you. He's painting this picture of just like, man, I'm, I'm there, even though I'm going to be physically gone. All that to say, we will be connected to Jesus, the vine, to the branches, community with the Trinity, community with one another, our fellow branches, the body of Christ. Take that, Orson Welles, right? God is committed to us. There's no aloneness. Many of you have probably at least heard of the book that was written 20 years ago called The Purpose Driven Life, okay? Um, if you haven't, it was one of the biggest selling books in the history of bookmaking, okay? Uh, written by a pastor in California named Rick Warren. And I still remember 
the first sentence in that book. Does anybody remember what the first sentence is? Oh, hang on. From the back. Oh, Rob Starr. It's not about you. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even looked at that book in years, and I still remember reading that and being like, huh, interesting. So I want to read just the first. Um, and so for some of you, I'm sorry for the shock of that, right? You thought that you were coming to church and that it was all about you, and then you found out it wasn't, so I'm going to give you a moment. Okay. First paragraph of this book says this, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. Okay? Because he created you... God gets to define the terms. He gets to define the role and the purpose of life. And he says that we are branches connected to the vine, born to bear fruit. And when you think about it, <clears throat> thank God it's not about us. Because the weight of it, life being about you, is pretty heavy. And there's a whole world right now of people that are feeling pretty overwhelmed by thinking that life really is about them because that means that they have to be the ones to make things happen. If something's gonna happen in their life, it's gotta be on their initiative. If, if there's weight to be bared in life, the responsibility of whatever it is, parenting, career, paying the bills, that it's on them to do all that. We Christians are part of a larger story, the story of this great life-giving vine where the vine plays the role of life sustainer and load bearer, okay? That's our story. And we are asked, like that person being rescued, right? Just hold on, stay connected, right? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus put it another way in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You can just keep that up there for a minute. I love Jesus' heart as he's communicating to his disciples. Right? At the point that he's saying these things and the things we see in John 15, what we see here in Matthew 11, He's the only one that knows the agony and the confusion of the crucifixion that's on the horizon in a very short amount of time for these guys and what they're going to go through as a result. So as, as, we, as we see John 15 this morning, as we see this passage, what's he trying to drill into their minds about what their ongoing relationship with him is going to need to look like? What's he trying to make sure that they get when that day comes? I feel like it's a staring contest. <laughs> Who can wait longer? Who's going to break? Well, I can wait a long time, right? What's he want them to know? 
about what this relationship's going to look like. Yes. Okay. He, he's going to provide rest. He's going to carry the burden. Good. What else? Yeah, Dave. Okay. Okay. Okay, good. There's this call and response. He says, he's saying, come to me, right? And our job is, is to go, all right? And what we find when we get there may be a little bit different than what we think it's going to look like, right? There's this, this picture here he's giving us of, of connection, okay? That, that life with him, if you look back at John 15, like it's supposed to be fruitful, Okay, they can expect fruit. <laughs> they can expect it to be this restful and light relationship. He's saying to them, I'm the vine, you're not. Okay, my yoke is easy. I shoulder the burden. So I just want to ask us here this morning, is that what our journey with Christ feels like? Does it feel light? Does it feel burdenless? Not that you don't have burdens, but that the relationship with him is not a burden, okay? Does it feel like he's carrying the weight? If not, what are we missing? What are we getting wrong? Or maybe another way to look at it is what are the lies that we're believing about who we are, about who he is, about what following God is all about. Because I, I see a lot of misinformed people <laughs> who, who come to me feeling like, man, following Jesus is just like, whew, it's a lot. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> but there's this tension that he wants to live in, wants us to live in, right? I mean, it is. He's, on the one hand, he says like, hey, if anyone would come after me, Take up their cross and follow me. Like, it's laying your life down. Deny themselves. I'm sorry first. Yeah, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. But then he also says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So it's like we've got to figure out what, what is the way in which we can live this Christian faith that feels like what it is he's describing. And if it's not, then, then we're missing something. And so we'll keep exploring that and see we, what we can unearth. <laughs> If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You will bear much fruit. That's a promise. Okay, it's a promise of production. You will bear. And it's a promise of abundance. Much fruit. Okay, those are just truths. And we can see the difference. <clears throat> we can see the difference in those that are connected to the vine when we interact with people, can't we? On the one hand, we've got people who are, are kind of self-centered and don't have a lot of margin for other people and other people's concerns. <laughs> Compared to those who live in this abundant way that draws us in, that makes us want to be more like them, 
We leave encounters with those connected ones, those that remain in Christ, feeling loved and heard and known and seen and valued and inspired. And it puts wind in our sails to keep fighting and keep pursuing faith and healthy relationships. A lot of you guys know that, that I coach cross country and track over at Central, and I've, I've got the, the blessing of having a, a staff of coaches um, that are just great people that all are following Jesus. I have a lot of kids on my team um, who are Christ followers of well, as well. A lot of them are here this morning. And when kids come into our program that don't know Christ yet, it's pretty obvious probably for them pretty, pretty early on that things just go a little bit differently with the cross-country team, the way that we operate, the things that we value, the way that we talk to one another and we call out the good things that we see. And as they wrestle with their own kind of dysfunctional mode of operating that they might have brought in, and they try to begin to align their life to this new culture that they're benefiting from and they can see the benefits of, they inevitably, they inevitably mention a coach or a runner that they admire, like somebody that they want to be more like. And 10 times out of 10, it's somebody on our team who's following Jesus. And they don't know yet that they're really drawn to Jesus because he's the attractive one living through us, right? And he's using the coaches and the runners to bear fruit that's pointing other people to Christ. For me, fruit has become the distinguisher of whether somebody is really connected to Christ. If you wonder if somebody is following Jesus and not just believing some facts about Jesus, you look for fruit. And this always gets interesting around funeral time too, <laughs> right? It's like people say, oh, they went to church or they whatever. It's like, all right, like talk to me about the fruit of their life. Give me some evidence. Are they displaying Christ-like qualities more and more as they go about their life and whatever roles that God has put them in? Do you see evidence of them becoming more loving, patient, kind, gentle, self-controlled, all of those things? Are they having influence on others that points people to Jesus? Jesus said that if people remain in me, that they will bear fruit and not just some fruit much fruit we've talked often in recent weeks that we serve this god who is exponential right he is a multiplying god so many stories in scripture says if you just bring me a little i will take it and i will multiply it 30 60 100 times his desire in our life is to multiply us so that others would come to know him Do you pray that you would bear much fruit in your life? Is that a prayer that you've prayed recently? God, use me to bear much fruit in this world. We serve an abundant God who Paul reminds us in Ephesians 3.20, right? When he's praying for the people in Ephesus, he says that this God wants to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine now listen to this part, <laughs> according to his power that's at work in us. 
And I think that's where we get it wrong a lot of times, is when we think about how much impact we could or are having, so much of the time the emphasis is on what we think our own ability is. And we look at ourselves and we think, oh, I'm not that special, I'm not that talented. And we miss, no, it's according to his power that's at work in you. And guess what? The same God, the same Holy Spirit, the same amount of power is in me. <laughs> Pastor Bob in front of, you know, a couple hundred people every week, as is in you. Same one. You're not limited, lesser than, not as gifted or uh, abled to do something amazing. And most of the people that, that God picked to do big things in the Bible were the most unassuming, unsuspecting people. Do we take him at his word? Do we pray for much fruit? For our influence to multiply so that more people would come to know and worship and praise God for his glory. That seems like a prayer he would really want to answer. <laughs> Should be a desire of our hearts. God, use me, bear much fruit in my life. The last part of verse five reminds us that apart from him, we can do nothing. What does that mean exactly? Well, if you kept reading down to verse 16, Jesus kind of puts a qualifier in here. He says that we were chosen to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Fruit that will last. I love strawberries. Okay, so almost every time I go to the grocery store, I get strawberries. And honestly, like there are some people that have told me they don't like strawberries. And I'm like, I don't even have a category in my brain for the, the sweetness and goodness of a strawberry, how could that not be pleasing to every human? But anyways, they're out there. Don't tell me if you're one of those people because I've got a category for those folks and it's, it's not kind, okay? So, but when I get strawberries, um, man, it really irks me when I take them home in like a day or two, they're, they're molding and I have to throw the whole thing out. Like I just spent... <laughs> you know, $6 for 10 of them, you know, or whatever it is now, and you're going to go bad on me in a day or two? Like, I want some fruit that's going to last. Like, give me some time here, right? I got a busy schedule. Might not get to the strawberries till day three or four. So give me a little cushion. But Jesus hits on this topic, all right? Apart from me, we can do nothing. And a few other stories in the Gospels, there's a story of Mary and Martha, and we see Jesus visiting this family. He comes to their home with his entourage. It's no easy thing when Jesus and his posse rolls in. All right, you got some hungry fellas that have been on the road. And so Martha goes into the kitchen and she's slaving away, right? She's cooking, she's cleaning. She's trying to take care of Jesus. But guess what? It's not making her more like Jesus. <laughs> it's making her anxious, it's filling her with contempt for her sister, Mary, who's lazy, and she's just sitting around listening to Jesus teach. While Martha is working away, she's missing Jesus. And the fruit of her labors won't last. Being busy and active and doing a bunch of stuff for Jesus doesn't necessarily equate to remaining in him. 
Remember that warning that Jesus gives in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. You put that slide up there. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. People doing all kinds of stuff, but Jesus says, I never knew you. We weren't connected to each other. See, sadly, there's a lot of people that are wrapped up into doing things for Jesus. They're more wrapped up into that than they are concerned with being with Jesus. Jesus modeled this connected lifestyle, <laughs> made things very clear in John 5.30 and John 12.49. He says a couple different things. <clears throat> you can put that slide up. John 5.30 says, by myself, this is Jesus talking, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Then in chapter 12, he says, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Jesus didn't do anything or say anything unless his father directed him to. He knew that working on his own accord would lead to fruitless activity. It's humbling to admit that we are completely dependent on God for everything. Have we confessed our utter insufficiency 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 <laughs> have we confessed our utter insufficiency to produce lasting fruit on our own have we said those words to god i can't produce lasting fruit by myself i need you not to make things happen we can all make things happen if you're talented enough, persuasive enough, engaging enough, you can stir up some activity. You can even get a crowd to follow you to go do something. But to produce lasting fruit. You see, I, I, don't, I don't think Jesus is really excited about blessing your activity and making it lasting apart from him. We'll finish with verse 6. I'm going to read it again says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. I think it's really important here, again, to just have some context, okay? Who is Jesus talking to? Okay, Jesus is having this conversation with his 11 remaining disciples, all of whom are believers. All are connected to the vine. But he's using a comparison here. And he's saying those times when we take our eyes off of the vine and try to produce some fruit on our own, whatever comes out of self-effort, he says it's like 
a branch that's been disconnected and withers. It's good for nothing. He doesn't say you are a branch thrown into the fire. He says you're like one. Okay, that's a big difference there. So make sure we get that. He's not saying that their salvation will change, just the longevity of their fruit. Okay? The best imagery that I can think of to compare this sentiment to is found in 1 Corinthians 3. I want you to turn there real quickly. Page 1625. 1 Corinthians 3, uh, starting in verse 10. This is Paul writing, says this, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should, be, should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light, judgment day. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. When that passage first got my attention a few years ago. I remember reading it and, you know, for whatever reason, something catches you for the first time in a different way. I remember just kind of closing my eyes and just kind of meditating on that a little bit. And God kind of gave me this vision of him and I uh, at the end of my life, standing at the end of this long conveyor belt. And at the other end down there were some heavenly gnomes uh, UPS gnomes in heaven that were putting up, no, no, no pun intended there, Tony. Yeah, you're, you're actually a really tall guy. Um, not, not, not guys like Tony, but other gnomes. Um, putting on things um, from my life, ministry, things that I had done, relationships that I had built and developed, all those things. And God and I are standing down at the end of this belt and there's this furnace that's gonna, you know, a flame. And the conveyor belt rolls and we're watching it. And the stuff that I did in my life that was kind of just in my own strength and, and really I wasn't really inquiring about God or really relying or trusting in him for those things, those things just get burned up and just disappear. The things in my life that, that come through that are, that are lasting fruit where I really was connected to God and, and really making sure that it was him doing the work through me, those are the things that are kind of stacked up over on the corner as my reward. And I remember as I was thinking through that, thinking, man, I really, I really hope that there's a lot of stuff left. Not, not for my glory, not so that I can pat myself on the back, but so that Jesus would get a lot of glory for how he used me in my life to hopefully make an impact, a lasting impact on people. And the sentiment really that this is getting at and what I was feeling as I was thinking through that is I don't want to get in by the skin of my teeth. You know, you, you kind of picture somebody who's like, they're getting into heaven, but the flames are right there, right? It's like, man, I want to be the one that the Father looks at me and says, well done, 
good and faithful servant. And if that imagery is helpful for you <laughs> to just think about that kind of conveyor belt, <laughs> what's going to be rolling down that thing, man? And how much of it's just going to be burnt up because it's just not stuff that matters? It's not lasting. You weren't really connected with God. You weren't you're asking him to use you and allowing him to work through you. You were just in it for whatever your motives might have been. Remain in me. Man, Jesus keeps pounding that posture again and again and again. He wants us to get it. It's one thing to hear that call to remain. It's another thing when we don't feel it. You know, when we're not feeling that connection, when we're, when we're looking at our life and we're like, oh, I just don't see a lot of fruit, that can be tough. What do we do then? Maybe you're there today. Maybe you've been in seasons like that in your life. What do we do? Well, the simple and really complex answer is that we just press in. And we just keep fighting to stay connected. Trusting that he'll do his work in us and through us as he pleases. It might look different than we want it to look like. The timing might be different. But we just stay at it. One possibility and sometimes about why we don't maybe feel or see a lot going on is that we may be in this season of pruning. Remember we talked about how, how times when the, when the, 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 vin, the vineyard, uh, what do they call the wine dresser, the vine dresser? Yeah, the, you know, the guy that takes care of the vines, right? That he'll cut back, right? If he sees something that has some potential to bear much fruit, he doesn't want to allow it to bear too much too soon, Right? He works on their character a little bit so that when I give you some fruit, you're going to be able to handle it in a, in a humble way. Maybe you're in a season right now where he's kind of working on your character a little bit. I've been in those seasons, and, and, and he just kind of says, hey, for a while, I'm not going to let you see a lot of fruit. But I'm not sure you could handle it well if you did. <laughs> we need to work on some character things here a little bit, humble you a little bit. And that, that's a painful time. It can be. <laughs> it can be a little bit disorienting. He may be pruning our ministry involvement to create some margin or some rest because maybe we've just been in a heavy season of production. And he's saying, man, I just, I want you to rest for a while. Recoup. You know, farmers in the Bible, they used to, you know, they, they let fields lay fallow for a year. We're not going to plant anything on there. We're going to let the ground get some nutrients back in it. It's going to feel like nothing's going on in your life, but under the surface, there's some amazing things going on in the soil as it's refortifying itself to produce an even more abundant crop in the future. And it can be disoriented. It can, it can be hard. We don't feel good during those times, but we have to remember that we're still connected. And during those seasons when we're not feeling it, man, that's when the enemy comes in, and, man, he just starts lying. He starts hitting you, filling you with doubt distracting you, keeping you just complacent, right? You kind of sense nothing's going on. You just kind of, I don't really need to go to church. I'm not, I don't feel like spending time today. I don't want to go to small group. I don't want to whatever. What he wants to do is he wants to get you alone and isolate you from community so that he can keep lying and you won't have anybody else there to help protect you to hear the truth. And in those seasons, we need to pray. We need to remind ourselves what is true. We are connected 
We are one with God. He's connected to us. He's committed to us. He's in us. Right? He's faithful. We will bear much fruit when we remain. And God's promises are faithful. And we need to surround ourselves with other people who will remind us of those truths and encourage us to remain other connected ones. Do you know some connected ones? Man, if you're not feeling it right now, if you're not seeing the fruit, get around the connected ones. Get around the fruitful people and you'll be inspired to want to be more like them, to have the relationship with Christ that they have. I want to take just a minute, just maybe a two or three people. I just want to get some feedback this morning, okay? What are some takeaways that you had from today? What resonated with your experience right now? What challenged you in some way? Let's just take a couple minutes just to throw some things out. It's like, hey, man, this, was, this is something I'm going to remember. What's your, what's your one or two things you might take away today and why? And we're going to do better than the first question that I asked you because we, we need to get going here, folks. It's Mother's Day. Come on. Impress your mother. Yes. Yeah. 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 Good. Just coming to God with that reminder, you know. And I think a great question to ask, and Jesus kind of uses this language when he's talking about Peter. He says, Peter, I'm sifting you. And that's a great prayer to pray. It's like, God, sift my motives. Are there some unpure motives that I have in this ministry that I'm leading or this work that I'm doing or. You know, can you sift it and kind of get all the, the yucky stuff out <laughs> and so that what's left is pure and humble and devoted to you? That's good. What else? Yeah, Jamie. I think when you put up that verse, of, um, come to me all who are weary laden, that part where it said, um, where you're asking to learn from him. Hmm. I think a lot of times in my life when I find that I'm struggling or in darkness or whatever, Yeah, yeah, he said this from that verse, that little sentence that says, learn from me, you know, Jesus is communicating those words. I mean, you have to remember that when he came, he was fully human too, right? And so imagine being born and growing up with this burden of, I'm, I got to save the world. <laughs> like that's a heavy load, right? So for Jesus even to, to understand that connection and that trust that he had to have with the father that like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do as best I can, the things you lay, lay down, and, and I'm going to trust that you're going to redeem the world through this act, and I can't bear all that on my own, right? Jesus had things to learn along the way as well. What else? Anything else? Any other takeaways?
Let me just say this. You should have one. Every week you walk out the door, right? So I hope your posture as you come to church on Sunday mornings is, hmm, God, what do you have for me today, right? You're not coming here to just listen to Bob talk, right? There's got to be more important things you could be doing with your time on a Sunday morning than listening to me, okay? We're coming here to encounter God. God is living and active, and he wants to speak to you specifically in your life right now, all right? So something that we shared this morning is should be landing in your heart in some way. So I'm going to be standing at the door on the way out, and uh, your ticket out is to give me your answer um, this morning, okay? But if you just walk out the door, remember Scripture says, don't just be hearers of the word, do what it says, right? Don't just look at a mirror. If, if you don't do it, it's like you look at the mirror and you walk away and you don't remember what you look like. Like, the enemy wants you to walk out the door and just do nothing. We are here today to be reshaped and transformed to the image of God. And guys, remember, we're to pray that we would bear much fruit when we go. There is a world out there that needs Jesus, and you got him. And so they need you to be Jesus wherever you go as you walk out these doors today and do the rest of your work this week, okay? Believe it. He's in you. He wants to shine and shed his light and all those things through you. You are needed. You are important because Jesus is in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time today. Thank you for this, um, God, just this imagery that you've given us of this connection. And the promises that you give us, that as we remain in you, that we will bear much fruit. I pray that we would desire that. That we would desire to, to be used, to be abundant. Because that means that more people are going to be free. More people are going to be loved and known and forgiven and not have to live in shame and doubt and fear and aloneness. God, there's so much you want to offer this world through us. God, help us not to, to act and live in our own strength. Help us to humbly come before you and say, apart from you, I can't do anything. I need you. God, we all want to get to the end of our life and at the end of that conveyor belt, just have some amazing lasting fruit <laughs> because that means that more people would be in your presence for eternity, praising your holy name. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we close. <laughs>